0: to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read a portion from that, continuing on in our series. But if you don't have a Bible and you would want one, um, please let me know at the end because we've got some spares at the back. we would love to give it to you as a way of blessing you and hoping that it's um, something that you draw a massive amount of strength from as we do. We're going to be reading from Colossians 3, starting at verse 18 and going through to the first verse of chapter 4. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you, and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favouritism masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven lord we pray that you would speak to us through this passage and through your holy spirit lead us to the feet and the arms of jesus and give us the faith to put into practice all that we learn from you today all that we hear you say to us that this world and our lives might be changed from one degree of glory to the next amen amen if i were to ask you to um, think back through your life to spend a moment going down memory lane and to think of maybe the best day you can remember maybe those highlight moments of your life those evenings or days or seasons that you will remember until the day you die i'm pretty certain that one thing would be true of all of those things. If I were then, slightly more dangerously, to ask you to think back through your life and pick out some of the most difficult moments, the things that you found hardest to go through, those seasons that you really are glad are over and I hope they're over for you, I'm pretty sure that the same thing would also be true of those things. I think at the heart of our best and our worst moments in life, Are people. We think that the best things in life will come when we've got the best car and we're going to the best holiday and the best food and all this kind of stuff but more often than not it seems to be it's the people that you're with that make the difference. They're the thing that you look back on. Similarly on the opposite side often it's when we're betrayed or let down by someone who we thought was close, when we think of illness or someone being taken from us. People are the biggest blessing and can cause the most pain in our lives. This passage in Colossians is a practical outworking of everything that we've been reading already in Colossians into the arena of personal relationships, into the arena of the household, of the family, as we'll see of the workplace. What Colossians is trying to do here, pull through this passage is to say here's the gospel the glory of god the supremacy of christ that we've been talking about and here's some of how that works its way out into your relationship with your husband your wife your mom your dad your friend your neighbor your boss if you've ever had joy or trouble in a human relationship then this is a passage and this is a message for you before we dive into this A word, I guess, on those passages of the Bible that we might find slightly harder than others, because I'm guessing for a lot of you this would be on that list. As Christians, we believe that the Bible, the whole Bible, is powerful and authoritative, that it's not a book like a Shakespeare or a Dickens book. It's been put together with God weaving it, God penning it through authors, uh, human authors, that he's used and inspired to do so. We believe that this is the book that tells us most about Jesus, about his kingdom, his goodness, about what it is to live for him, what it means to follow him. This isn't a book to kind of place alongside others, if you like, equally useful as all these other things. This is a book that goes on the top shelf, over and above everything else. And I think sometimes how we approach opening even this book is really key. Is it something that we Christians, followers of Jesus, can take or leave? Or is it something that we have to sit beneath? Where we find a difference in what this says and what we believe, who budges? And when what other influences and voices that we hear in media and society say something different than what this book teaches, who do we believe? Well, for the Christian, we have to sit beneath this book. We budge if we're found to be out of line with it. And we believe this over anything contrary, wherever that might come from. Because we believe that this book is the truth and comes with the help of the Holy Spirit who said part of his job was to lead us into all truth. This book is not like others. And when there are parts that are difficult within it, We've got to ask the difficult questions about maybe it's us that's got something wrong. Maybe the world's been telling us something really loudly, but it's wrong because it's not derived from God in this way. This book is all truth. Now, some of it is true because it tells us what not to do. It gives us examples of when people didn't follow God and how wrong it went. This isn't saying do everything in here, but there are times when it's don't do this because that will be for your benefit. There are things in here that are true because they're historical and scientific, they're factual. There are also things in here that are true because they're a metaphor, a way of seeing something in a different way. The thing didn't actually happen, but the message Jesus was showing through it, in the case of some of the parables, is true and something that we need to draw from. To the rest of the world, this might sound difficult and harsh, you're submitting to this thing. But I can say it joyfully because knowing the God who this book speaks of is life itself. Coming to Jesus, the one who this book leads you towards is life itself. So through this book, applied and brought alive by the Holy Spirit, you will learn how to give even more glory to God the Father. And that's the ultimate aim of all believers' lives. That foundation laid about what scripture is and what happens when we come to difficult passages, you might say. Let's lay that foundation and keep that in our mind as we go on. And before we dive into this specific text, let's text. Let's also remember that overarching headline of Colossians, that Jesus is supreme over everything. Over my life and over the church, over nations, governments, economies, empires, over the past, the present, the future, over all space, Jesus is Lord over everything. And today, as we'll see, that includes the household the workplace, the friendship group. Putting Jesus as Lord over everything is the right way for life to be. And things get out of line, things get distorted when we try and put anything else top of the pile. The message of Colossians is Jesus over everything, anyone, anything that might come in his way, Jesus supreme over all. Those two things being said, let's dive into this text. And see what it might mean. Colossians 3, 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. As the new humanity of God, having had the the record of your wrongs wiped away, as Colossians has already talked about. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Now a household in this time would have been very highly authoritarian. Authoritarian. Whatever the man, the father, the head of the household said went. Even if it was ridiculous, even if it was about life and death, what they said happened. Whatever the consequences would be for anybody else. Highly authoritarian, with exclusive power being held in the hands of the man, the father. Now we need to remember, as we've said with the headline over the whole of Colossians, Jesus is the head over everything. We've got a new ultimate master. The household isn't just under the man, if that's what you think it would be in this context. Everything is under Jesus, the supreme boss, the boss of the bosses, the lord of the lords, the king of the kings. And if he is that, then that changes how the family works. And so wives are called to submit to husbands, as the text says. Well, Patriarchy alarm bells, if you like, are probably going off all over the room if they haven't been going wild already. Stick with me for a moment to see if there might be more in this, even for today. To submit is to come under something. Think sub, being under, kind of beneath, fitting underneath, and whatever the suffix then is, what you're coming under. So submarine, under the water, submission is to come under a mission. A way of being, a direction in life. To submit is to come under a mission, submission. So we've got to remember that this isn't about status. This isn't about worth. This isn't about value, right? This isn't saying, wives, you're worth less than your husbands. Wives, you're not as clever as your husbands. Wives, you're not as worthy to come into God's presence as your husbands. All of that isn't true. Because God made man and woman alike. And our worth comes from the person who made us. So in that way, men and women are completely equal. Jesus died for men and women alike. That's the price that was worth paying for men and women. There isn't one that's higher or lower in that way. So this isn't about status. This is about coming underneath a mission. Wives, submit, come underneath the mission of your husband. And what then is that mission? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In a corresponding passage like this in Ephesians, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. The highest form of love going, self-sacrificial, constant, tender, fierce, protective, providing that kind of love that Christ has shown for the church. That's the love that husbands are to have for wives. That is their mission. And that's the mission that the wife is called to come and sit underneath doesn't sound quite so bad now does it right the mission of the husband is to love the wife like Christ loved the church and the wife says I'm not gonna work in a different direction to that I'm not going to aim at something different I'm gonna come underneath you we're gonna work together towards this ultimate aim of letting our marriage give ultimate allegiance to Jesus remember also in this time that marriage may well have come about by family arrangement it would have been set for Status and advancement in society. Maybe certain families were richer than others and so people would marry into them. Marriage wasn't always about love. Marriage wasn't always about people being tied to one another beneath God. So to think of that in these terms is quite revolutionary. Husbands, love your wives. That in itself wasn't a given. Because husbands may have just have seen their wife as a step forward for them in their family line, right? Husbands might have thought of their wife as an object in order to get further in society. Husbands, love your wives is saying, you should have the attitude of Christ towards them. One pastor says it like this, he would translate this verse as saying, continually practice self-denial for the sake of your wife. To be crystal clear, this is not an excuse. Not to talk about things that go wrong in marriages or households. This isn't a way of saying wives have to submit to their husbands so when they get awfully treated you can't say anything. This is not a cover for abuse. This is not a way of saying that everything that goes on or is initiated by the man is right. That just isn't true. Where that's happened is evil. Where passages like this have been used to justify or support that, they're wrong. That kind of relationship is incongruent with Jesus being head over everything and his form of love being the pattern of love which everyone is called to imitate towards one another. The Bible itself even says that if a husband's unfaithful to a wife, then she's not bound to stay with him, right? So she is to submit, she come beneath his mission, but there are times when that will get broken. Submission is about aligning yourself under their call, not working towards a different aim, but being united in this. Think of a sports team, right? The team is united in what it's trying to do, but it's submitted under its captain. They're the ones that get to call the plays, the direction. They're the ones that get to say when the tactics are going to change. It's not that they're more important. Other players could score the winning goal at any moment. But there's a unity that comes when everyone aligns around one message. And I think that's much more what's going on here than it may sometimes appear. There's, of course, way, way more that could be said. but For now, let's move on. Children. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Children, enthrone Jesus as Lord over everything, and obey your parents, just as they're seeking to follow God as well. Remember that this message, this letter is given to a church, to people trying to follow God. And again, hear the revolutionary note at the beginning, even with that very first word, children. In this time, children weren't worth very much. They couldn't produce, they couldn't do much that would bring any money in. They were a bit of a liability, if you're honest, because you had to provide for them and they're not really giving much back yet. Children were kind of seen and not heard in much later terminology. So, it's for even children to be mentioned, says so something revolutionary about what's going on here. Children, you've got a part to play in the plans of God. Children, you've got worth before God so that Paul would address you directly. Jesus said welcome the kids to me and he used their way of seeing faith as an example for everyone else. Children get referred to here because what's going on here is revolutionary. They're not objects to be seen or heard, pushed to the side, they're addressed, they're brought into the centre, they've got a role to play. Obey your parents because your parents are trying to obey Jesus. Work with them. Go with them. Of course, if your parents ask you to do something that isn't in line with Jesus, then what's going on here isn't, the framework isn't being followed. If you've got a boss and a boss's boss and they say something different, you obviously go with the highest authority. And what it's not saying is children obey your parents when they tell you to do something that's unchristian. Because all of this is written to a church that's trying to make jesus the front and the center of everything fathers don't wind your children up don't exasperate them don't annoy them don't get short-tempered with them be an example to them show them what it is to follow me christ nurture them protect them provide for them pray for them put yourself out for them don't wind them up treat them as christ would and does Love them like Christ did and does. Make it easy for your kids to see through you the example of your father, God. And then on to slaves. The concept of slavery in this time was a bit different than it would be today. So slaves did include kind of domestic servant types that would have served the family in a particular way, but also included would have been people like or plumbers say who came to a household to do a specific job to fix something, to put something in for the duration of their work they would have been considered a slave because they were doing something for the household so slave isn't just the kind of transatlantic slavery that we uh, has been abolished rightfully but it also includes some slightly different concepts and so I think what we can also do here is widen the scope out to think about workplaces right This is kind of about bosses and employees, as much as it's about masters and slaves, because the slavery concept is slightly different than we would have it today. All that to say that this moves forward the treatment of slaves, servants, laborers, because it tells them that they're to be treated well, they're to be provided for, they're to be looked after by their master. Slaves, obey your earthly masters, not when they're looking only. Have integrity about what you do. Work properly. Work as if you're working for God, because ultimately you are. Work as if it's not just your boss who sees, but the Lord of Lords, the one that you've given your ultimate allegiance to. Work at it with all your heart, as if working for God, from whom you'll receive an eternal inheritance, not just a temporary paycheck. Now we don't work to be saved. We receive our salvation as a free gift from God. But when we've received it, we give ourselves back to God and say, use me however you will to increase your glory on earth. And that includes our work, right? That includes what happens Monday to Friday or increasingly now with shifts all through the week. Again, this is revolutionary because slaves, servants, laborers were addressed in a letter that's made it to the Bible. Not just the high society, not just the prime ministers and the presidents, not the kings and the queens, right? Slaves, servants get a mention. They get directly referred to. What's going on here is subverting all sorts of things, even just by it being written. Masters, employers, provide your slaves, your workers, with what is right and fair, aware that you have a master yourself. Treat people with dignity, with respect. Look out for them, protect them, do what you can to benefit them, to bless them. So that again, through how they are overseen and supervised, they get to see a bit of your overseer, your supervisor, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is played out in the next chapter as we'll see next week, and in the book of Philemon later on in the New Testament where this guy, Onesimus, He's a former slave, but he's been freed. And Paul says to the church, receive him as a brother. Not an inferior, not a junior, not a former slave forevermore. Receive him as a peer, as a brother, one like you. I hope that by going through that, some of the tension is eased, if you like. Not because I want that to be the case, but because I believe that's the truth. And sometimes these passages have been used in a certain way to make a certain point. All of these things are hugely challenging to treat people in that way. But that's what it is to live as the new humanity of God. And where there's a big call, there's always a massive amount of grace in order to make it happen. If I was going to distill some of this down into principles that we could all apply, whether or not we've got some of these earthly relationships, I would say this is about choosing how to order the main direction and the loves of your life, right? This is what to say, what's most important, what's next under that and what's beneath it. Augustine once said that disordered loves lead to disordered lives. When we get our loves, our desires out of line where certain things are bigger than they should be and certain things are smaller we get disordered lives and so the challenge of a passage like this is to order our loves our passions our desires in the way that Jesus would want and as many of you will previously have heard some have summarised this by saying first over everything is Jesus second underneath that is others and third beneath that is yourself j-o-y Living in this way helps you step into joy. So Jesus first over everything in the way that Colossians would love. Others come second, spouses, family members, friends, neighbors, bosses, colleagues. Those God leads you to serve. One another here in a church community. We're called to honor one another as those who are equal in value and status before God. Those who've got things to teach us about following Jesus and those that can learn things from us because we've each got something to give and something to receive and then third, yourself off-centering yourself from your own life not making it all about you about your advancement about you going forward and forward but saying I'll put myself third I'll still look after myself this isn't saying don't rest don't take a shower don't look after yourself this isn't saying any of that It's saying, order your love so that Jesus is top, others are second, and you are third. Model your life after Jesus, who humbled himself, who took the form of a servant, made himself nothing. He didn't seek to come and be served, but came to serve other people. And submitted himself ultimately to God the Father, only doing what he saw him do and saying what he saw him say. Jake Meader, a pastor in the States, puts it like this. Christians are unique citizens in society because formed by the upside down kingdom of God, they move out into the world as self-sacrificers rather than self-actualizers. Putting yourself third is saying, I'm gonna sacrifice myself for the greater mission of God and the blessing of other people. And what happens when you do? There's joy, because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He said, lay yourselves out, make yourself lower, prefer other people. And when we live in this way, we receive the blessing that comes from living like Jesus wants us to live. I feel like for lots of us. Today's message will have been hard enough already, but I'm a sucker for punishment, so I just want to take it one level on. There are passages similar to this in lots of the other New Testament letters. Ephesians 5 has a very similar pattern. There are other times where the writers apply what they're saying into the household or say, here's how it applies in your relationships. I just want to look for a second at what is said in Hebrews chapter 13, which applies this way of living into the church. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. This passage, in line with Colossians, is saying submit, come underneath the mission of your leaders and their authority. This is talking about the church context. To submit yourself to the direction that they've set for the church that you trust has come from God. Set yourself to the direction that they've set for the church. Work behind it, don't work against it off in a different direction. Remember that they will give an account for you and for the church when they see Jesus face to face. You won't have to do that for them, but they will do that for you. To do it in such a way that they can go joyfully before God, saying, look, these people were brilliant and they followed what I believe you'd called us to do. They made my work a joy, not a burden. I think the implication with a passage like this is to say, if you don't have confidence in your leaders, if you can't put yourself beneath the authority and the vision that they've set, not in a heavy handed, overbearing kind of a way, but if you can't work behind it, that probably isn't the church for you. Find somewhere where you do have confidence, where you can submit, where you do feel like I can get behind this with all my weight. Again, this is not an excuse to cover over abuse and bad practice and things that should never happen in the church. This isn't saying their authority means that you can never call them out, that they're never accountable to anyone. And just so you know, I'm accountable to all sorts of people structurally and ultimately to God. I don't say this in a heavy handed way but because it needs to be said in order for the church to be all that it can be before God. We're going to be talking a bit more about the vision of this church next month particularly. (coughs) uh, September kicking off this new school year and I'd love for you to be around as much as you're able to be. To get behind that because that's almost you getting to hear what I think God's called us to do and some of the steps we're taking towards that so that you can answer this. Do I have confidence in it? And can I submit myself, put myself beneath that mission? And when we've got a group of people, whatever size who say yes to that, amazing things are possible. So please come along as much as you're able next month particularly. Get behind it, ask questions, so that you can come with confidence and submit yourselves joyfully to see this greater mission come to be. Coming into land, I just wanna say one final thing. The world today seems to react really strongly to any sense of submission. If you were to say that out on the street, I think the the answers that you would get would be to say submit to no one. You are the king, you are the queen, you are the lord, you call the shots, you spend your money how you want to, you do what you want to do, you go where you want to go. Sure, submit to the law because it's easier to than not some small restraints if you like but ultimately you call the shots you're the captain of the, your own team everything that's been thrown at you in society every message that i believe you're getting from the media and everywhere else has kind of got that built into it you're lord of your own life you call the shots you're number one and that goes straight against the message of scripture the message of colossians the message of this passage right the best way for you to use your life isn't to be the Lord over it. It's to centre yourself and move Jesus into the middle, to follow him above all else, to serve others with the love that he gives you and then to put yourself in third place. And sometimes when we're given a, a contrast like this, I like to see well, what's the consequences, right? Help me make this decision. So as I look at the world and I hear you be number one, I see the consequences of that played out in selfishness and greed in strife between people and wars between countries. I see loneliness at epidemic levels, because we've all been told, well, we are the centre of our own circle, but that can isolate you from other people more than it helps you connect. And then I look at the way Jesus calls us to live, to submit to him as Lord. And I see the results of that in joy and in peace, in people realizing that not making yourself God of the universe means that you don't have to bear a weight that no one can bear. Living as Jesus calls you to live brings results that no one else can bring. Rejecting submission outright is one of the reasons why society finds it hard to come to Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't say come and be my friend, he says come and make me Lord. He says come lay yourselves down, take up your cross and follow me. I am your friend. I come alongside you like a brother, but I am also the Lord over everything. And it comes by recognising that, that you step into this new way of being. Let's not be those who are so allergic to submission, because that means that we're going to struggle to put Jesus where he needs to be. And then in the right way, as this passage is laid out, to submit ourselves to one another in different ways, to put ourselves beneath others because we believe that they've got something good to show us, to teach us, and to help us follow Jesus more fully. The world will tell you that submission is the way to ruin. Jesus said that submitting to Him and honouring others above ourselves is, in fact, the way to life and life in all its fullness, now and forever. And I want to pray for me and for you, for us today, that we'd have the wisdom and the faith to make the right decision when those two. Decisions, those two options are put before us so that we can step into life in all its fullness in the way that Jesus has for us. Amen.